0: Investigating murders in a small town, Mulder and Scully are at the mercy of two angsty teenage girls and their vengeful
1: whims. But are they to blame for their behavior, or is something cosmic at
2: play? This is not happening. This is not happening. happening. When we were here before you... I'm just
3: waiting for authorization.
2: I'm a federal agent.
3: Last I heard, the federal government couldn't pay its bills. Okay, you're good for up to 300 bucks. How can I help you?
2: You said that you knew why people were behaving so strangely around here.
3: Well, same reason that my dog's been trying to mate with the gas barbecue for the last two months. You said it was planetary. Once every 84 years, Mercury, Mars, and Uranus come into conjunction. Only this year, Uranus is in the house of Aquarius.
2: That's a bad thing?
3: Bad like an Irwin Allen movie. I mean, things are going to fall out of the sky. Disaster lies in wait, especially around here. Why here? Well, we're in a geological vortex, a high-intensity meridian. A cosmic G-spot. All culminating on January 12th, when the planets come into perfect alignment. Which would be... today. Hey. But
2: but why is this affecting everyone?
3: Well, some people more than others. Relationships are going to suck. Significant dates can exaggerate the effects.
2: But if today was my birthday?
3: Then I'd say happy birthday. Unless, of course, you were born in 1979... And then I call the police. You'd have a Jupiter-Uranus opposition, forming what's called a grand square, where all the planets align into a cross. All the energy of the cosmos would be focused on you.
1: Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Andrew, and you're listening to "This Is Not Happening," another X Files podcast. And uh, you know, with me uh, over there somewhere in Wisconsin, I don't know. It's uh, it's Mike. Hey, Mike, how you how you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm all right. Yeah, Just cool. uh, another day. Yeah, here we here we go. Yeah. It's uh guess we're recording in the uh, podcast and everything. So um yeah, sure. it's uh Syzygy. This is uh this is what we're doing, right?
0: Yes, the the planet one, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be uh I'm sure I'm sure, you know, I'm gonna do as much as I can for it. We'll see. Uh yeah. but it's uh, you know, written by Chris Carter. It's written by the man, so it could be good. And directed by Rob Bowman. So, you know, that could be all right. Yeah.
0: It has promise, I'll say that. Mm. Just just from those two uh, two people on the writing staff, writing and directing. So, yeah, we'll see.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know what? Uh, I'm sure you know what uh, Syzygy actually means, what the word means, right? Yeah. Things pitted against each other, kind of opposites. No. Right? No? no? You're so wrong. What is it? I mean, uh, I, would, I would expect more from you, but uh,
0: All
2: right. you know,
1: I'll, I'll let you know just so that, you know, you can impress other people later. It uh, it defines an astronomical alignment of three celestial objects.
0: Well, that's not what I read, but whatever.
1: Okay. Well, you know, uh, you're smarter now. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate
0: it. I can always count on you, Andrew, for your intelligence and, and making sure
1: I'm smarter. I, I do what I can. You know, there's a limit. Uh, But uh, anyway, the other big deal about this one is uh, prominent guest stars, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah when he was a a small Yeah, he, he was a
0: little tyke, and this is the first thing I remember seeing him in. I honestly don't recall anything before this, but I I didn't really look it, <laughs> look
1: it up. So, <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad. I'm that sure he had roles. I'm glad that you're doing your best for the podcast. You know, at least one of us is trying. So yeah, well. Okay. You know, not everyone's perfect. Well, uh, sure. So, anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get into it. All right, let's uh, start the synergy of the Syzygy. Are you ready? Like, can you be Fine. bothered? Are you you on? No, I'm ready.
0: I'm just I've got things on my screen I have to pay attention
1: to right now. So let's just do this. Okay. Well, if you want to chime in, uh, don't don't hesitate. Uh, if I'm not making the the correct eye contact
0: for you, I'm, I promise I, I'm listening. I'm just. I'm doing
1: it. I'm sure. I'm sure that you take this seriously. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, We open on a nighttime vigil with a light rain falling. The camera slowly tracks across a lantern, illuminating a frame picture of a young man and a yellow and green football helmet. Another young man, a fellow footballer, steps up to say some words about his friend who's dead. This is young Ryan Reynolds. He's playing Boom in this episode, and the dead boy is Bruno. And that Boom is distraught over the loss of his friend. More disturbingly, Bruno might have been done in by a cult, and even more disturbingly, the cult is going to try again. Boom goes off to be himself, holding back his tears. Pretty convincing, Ryan Reynolds tears. Eh, hey, it's not bad. What'd you say? Yeah,
0: he does all right.
1: Something definitely feels
0: forced about this. He's playing it definitely aloof and very... Kind of thick-headed, I would say. The the words he's using to describe it's very monotone and very kind of blah. Like it's he's on
1: autopilot. Yeah. It feels like. Well, pay attention to the the things he says. Like we knew him since Absolutely. kindergarten. He was I don't know like a brother or something. I I love how it it gets used later, but uh, mm-hmm. well, soon two teenage girls, Margie and Tara. Uh, sorry, Margie and Terry. Yeah. Margie and Margie. Terry. Margie? Margie. Margie. You can tell I was really watching this one. Well, they catch up with Boom and compliment him on his words. They tell him that the cult's apparently going to be coming after another victim, supposedly a blonde virgin. And lo and behold, Margie and Terry are both blondes and virgins? Question mark. Boom is shocked and offers to give Margie and Terry a ride home. In Boom's pickup truck, Terry and Margie discuss the merits of virginity and how, if, I don't know, Margie and Terry weren't virgins, maybe they wouldn't be so scared. Boom takes a hard right off the road and the scene fades to black. The next morning, cop cars arrive next to Boom's abandoned pickup. Deputies fan out across the rocks and find Boom's body hanging. The camera tracks the long rope upwards to the top of a cliff where we find Terry and Margie sitting on a blanket delightfully playing a game of he loves me he loves me not with a flower as if the dead body wasn't hanging at the end of a rope mere feet away cut to credits so um you know good scene uh do you get any you know thoughts you want to share on it
0: it was all right it was one of those typical x-files scenes where you know we we like to comment on well they're they're starting in another forest and naughty bad things are happening and uh, in this case a young man is is killed, and it really looks like the girls did it to him. And they're just having a, a grand old sadistic time. So that's a little disturbing, but a little,
1: a little bit different than uh, he was just trying to get a nut. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, he was just trying to him, help them, Mike. He was just trying to he
3: was
0: trying to save their lives
1: by removing their virginity and maybe changing their hair color. You didn't think of that, did you? I th- I think that's fair. He was maybe he was there to to do a, a quick style and cut. That's true. That's true. Maybe there was no sex involved. Geez, you're just so. I could be very. Why do you always assume there's sex involved? Eh? Why do you always have to have the sexual mindset? I don't understand.
0: I, it's it's just like default with me, man. All right, geez. I mean, the scene directed us there, but I guess I'm wrong.
1: Listen, we've all got our own opinions. Some of them are right, some of them are wrong. We'll yeah, we'll see how it goes. Just keep going all right well we come back to mulder and scully in a car they're driving to the crime scene they stop at a sign where we read the town's name comedy they have a disagreement about directions and take a right only for the car to drive the opposite way a moment later and i gotta say i love the uh, the sign how it says they're leaving comedy
2: As mm-hmm.
1: comedy also means courtesy so they're leaving courtesy Oh. Which I think is pretty great. That could be
0: on purpose. It
1: could be a little note. The scene picks up at a funeral for Boom, his picture is standing atop a flower-covered casket. A man eulogizes Boom as the camera tracks back the crowd, which is populated mostly by footballers wearing the green and yellow jackets. At the back of the funeral hall, Mulder and Scully talk with Detective White about the circumstances of Jade DeBoom's death.
3: His friends called him Boom, quarterback of the football team. He was well-liked, a leader. He was looking forward to college until he was found hanged in the woods two days ago. It's the third death of a high school boy in as many months.
2: In your facts, you said there were strong suspicions of a satanic cult at work. That's the popular opinion around here. Wildly
3: popular, actually. Based on what evidence? Various eyewitness accounts of satanic rituals being conducted.
2: I remember me and Boom back to kindergarten. He was, I don't know, like a brother something
3: and you have physical evidence of these rituals being conducted no no just the murder victims so you have nothing concrete to connect these things to satanists if
2: uh, you detect a hint of skepticism or incredulity in agent scully's voice it's because of the overwhelming evidence gathered by the fbi debunking virtually all claims of ritual abuse by satanic cults is that true This is the third death of a high school
1: boy in three months, and there are suspicions of a satanic cult at work. Scully proceeds to debunk the satanic claims. There's no evidence of rituals at the crime scenes, and the FBI has debunked virtually all claims of ritual abuse by satanic cults. We see immediately she's not impressed by Detective White. She interviewed the two girls together, for God's sake. And as White moves away, Scully doubts that Detective White is even a real blonde. Boom. Ouch. Start with the uh, snappy.
0: Yeah, Mulder just kind of cuts into her conversation, and he just kind of poops all over anything Scully's saying. Just by, you know, if you detect a hint of skepticism, yeah. and it, you know, she she's not brushing it off because she she's being mean. She's brushing it off because she's smarter than you. <laughs> she's brushing it off because she's just it's, built it's her that attitude. Way. Yeah, yeah, she's just built that way. So you can see from the beginning that Mulder and Scully are, they've got an antagonistic
1: relationship in this episode so far. Yes. A little bit different. It is definitely a different uh, tactic for the writing staff on this one. And it's Mm -hmm. not a coincidence, I think, that it's written by Chris Carter. Because he, I think he's at the epicenter of all the commentary about the characters and is using Mm -hmm. a lot of what people the actual fans i think have said about them mm-hmm. as fuel for the for the episode here
0: yeah i mean if anyone knows these characters better than him and then to take feedback from fans listen to what they had to say and kind of use it to create them in, in an episode where they act completely different than mm-hmm. than what we normally see i think that's that's an, a very fun thing
1: yeah yeah well i this I think that the dynamic is great. I I really love it in this one. Uh, It's going to make up for a few flaws. So, a man bursts in on the sanctity of the funeral. This is Bob, who begins a tirade to try and motivate people to rise up against the satanic soldiers in the city. Terry and Margie, who I'm going to call Teramar for the rest of this episode, are described as good kids and excellent students by Detective White. They hold hands and look ominously towards the lectern. Smoke begins to erupt from Boom's coffin, which then bursts into flames. As the coffin burns, the, the gathered mourners flee, except for Taramar. Mulder and Scully look on, and Mulder quips that maybe they're just imagining the burning pyre. Boom, snap. Oh, Scully didn't appreciate that. No. So Mulder's basically being so passive-aggressive to... Uh, To Scully of this one.
0: Yeah. He is kind of taking jabs at her that seem unnecessary. We we don't understand them because uh, nothing has been explained. We're in the first 10 minutes of this episode, and it's like, wow, he's being a, a real dick. Yeah. Why you be
1: so dicky? Yeah. So we cut to Terry, who's being interviewed by Scully, and Margie, who's being interviewed by Mulder. As we intercut between the two interviews, it becomes clear that the two have the same story to tell. In their version of events, Boom swerved off the road as if he was possessed and brought the girls to a ritual being conducted by black-clad Satanists. Instead of sacrificing the girls, though, they sacrificed a newborn baby. The girls are in tears as they relate the story, but from Scully's expression, she's not buying any of it. We eventually cut to Mulder, Scully, and Detective White, who are listening to the End of the recording of the girls' accounts. Scully rightfully calling out that there haven't been any mass graves uncovered or reports of stolen infants and that the whole story is artfully cliche. However, yeah. none of this explains the burning coffin.
0: Not at all. As is usual for the X-Files, she has all the science and the facts surrounding the case. Which makes her sound really good, but there's always one thing that she can't quite explain.
1: (laughs) No matter how much she tries, yeah. And she'll try, for sure. Well, we're at the crime lab now with our burnt coffin, opening it up to reveal the body of Boom, which doesn't look to have suffered terribly from the fire. Scully believes that the fire was caused by a, a rare chemical reaction of the embalming fluid. Mulder points out an odd V shaped burn on Boom's chest, which he and Detective White are determined looks like a goat or a horned horned beast. A horned beast. Scully's determined that it doesn't look like that at all, and that they're seeing what they want to see. And she is uncharacteristically rude. Detective White
0: slighted She almost refuses eye contact with with White for some reason.
1: Just I don't know what's gotten up her bonnet there, yeah. Yeah. Well, Detective White slighted heads out, suggesting that they can call her if they need anything further, Mulder asks sarcastically if Scully can take a few pictures of the thing that bears absolutely no resemblance to a horned beast, and Scully responds with the first of many, sure, fine, whatevers. Yeah. What do you think of this uh, so far, uh, you know, if you want to share? If you would just be quiet for a minute.
0: Yeah, the, the antagonistic relationship is, is drawing me in immediately, and... In- Deep in, in your soul, you know something outside is is really affecting these two people. But I don't think there's anything to lend credence to that yet. And so with each passing scene, it gets a little bit more intense, a little bit more rude to each other. And I think it's coming to a head. It's, it's really enjoyable so far.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Were you done? I'm done. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. Because, I mean, sometimes you just go on.
0: Yeah, well, that
1: makes two of us, I guess. Okay, well, just hold your horses and we'll get to it, all right? Just We then cut to an extreme close-up of a cat's face. Mulder is holding this cat, and he's outside of Detective White's house. He apologizes for Scully's behavior and offers that White might want to keep her cat inside with the threat of satanic sacrifice out there. He's here to get White's help in solving the mystery of the horny beast. A great pickup line, if ever there was one. <laughs> and the two of them go to visit Madame Zarinka's business, astrology readings, numerology, runes. Muller is asking Zarinka if she sees anything in the photograph on Boom's chest, but she's reluctant to answer, fearing entrapment. She laments about how the town thinks she's a Satanist, but in her view, she's just a number cruncher, a small business owner trying to make a living. She then offers the whole town has gone crazy. Because Mercury, Mars, and Uranus, that word is just Eh. so funny, uh, are entering a planetary alignment. When Mulder presses to know more about this, Zarenka suggests he come back during business hours with a credit card.
0: Yeah, she's very to the point, matter of fact, doesn't care that he's with the government. Yep. And uh, fun fact, this is the HR lady from... Oh, I'm sorry, is this the the
1: time where you tell us all about the retreads, like that thing you do?
0: Oh, well, if you'd let me get through it. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm sure the audience
1: is real interested. So like, go ahead. I'll just be over here. That's true. No one cares.
0: Anyway. uh, Yeah. She is the HR person who hires Donnie
1: faster in Irresistible. So go ahead. Keep going. Okay, cool. I mean, are there any other retreads? Do you just want to get them all out of the way now? No, I do not. Okay.
0: All right. I will say that Detective White also appears in Seinfeld.
1: And he has to share a toothbrush with her. And he doesn't like it. Sorry, that's another show that's not X-Files?
0: It is another show.
1: But you're bringing it up here?
0: I'm bringing it up because I like to do that.
1: Okay. And so you just assume that the audience is interested in shows that aren't X-Files. You know, the podcast Would we you do here. Get on with it. Okay. Okay. Just saying. You know, just pointing out that, you know, you you do I that. Know, I know you out. like to point
0: things out. Okay. All right. Well, we move now. Every listener note.
1: Right. Can't enjoy an episode <clears throat> Oh, well i, I enjoy a plenty Jesus, man, we move Just keep going we move now to high school back to <laughs> <laughs> we move now to high school basketball practice where the camera starts on the school's mascot, conveniently enough, a goat, the horned beast, Termar look on disappointed with the man flesh that's on offer. That is until Scott Simmons comes over to the drinks table and the two smile at him like he is the best thing since sliced bread. He's not into it, though, heading back to his girlfriend, Brenda, and Terramar are not impressed with Brenda. As Scott heads back into the game, Brenda takes a tumble backward that looks in no way normal. The game continues, (laughs) and one of our... Players Eric Bauer chases a ball off the court and crashes into the drinks table, splashing them all onto Termar. They are righteously indignified, looking on with fury towards Eric, who dismisses it all with a shrug. Eric gets it on the head with a ball, which then careens underneath the bleachers, and he rushes off to retrieve the ball. At this point, did you have an inkling that he's not going to make it out of this episode alive? Him? Yeah. I I
0: thought his girlfriend was going to be
1: No 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 uh, Eric, not Scott. I mean the the dude is about to go to the bleachers.
0: I'm sorry, I, I thought you were talking I wasn't really paying attention.
1: Okay, well you know keep up man. Keep up. The
0: guy who goes to the bleachers you could tell immediately.
1: Something bad. This was is happen. not
0: a good place. Yeah.
1: Well Termar look on with spellbound hatred as Eric marches off to certain death. The lights in the gym go out and the bleachers move of their own accord, retracting by a mechanism to go flush with the wall and crushing Eric within. The crowd is hysterical as Teramar, impassive, watch on when... I wrote this. This should be easy. (laughs) The crowd is hysteric as Teramar, impassive, watch on in backlit spookiness. So, uh, I feel like this is a point for me to, uh, to get a few bullet points in here, uh, I know you're looking can't forward wait. to that. So, like, yeah, I
0: can't, wait. yeah, cannot
1: wait. All right. I think it's a good time to talk about Terramar's superpowers so far. Uh, okay. We have seen that they have convinced Boom to kill himself. Hey,
0: there's that word again.
1: Which one? Which word? Superpower. Superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. There. <laughs> so, they have convinced Boom to kill himself or otherwise engineered his suicide. They caused a coffin to burst into flames. They caused a cheerleader to trip. They turned out all the lights in the gym, and they caused a retractable bleacher to crush a young man. Mike, how were they doing this? That is the question. Um, it seems
0: very wide, very broad. Their power. <sighs> I, I mean, telekinesis is my best guess at this point. They seem to be able to do quite a bit of stuff. Yeah, and we we don't know how Boom died necessarily, like how they got him to put a rope around his neck or, or they did it or how they overcame him. But somehow they killed him. They're, they're affecting technology, lights,
1: electricity. I don't know. You know it, what? It seems far reaching right I, now. I, so. you're not often right about these things, but I will give you this one. Oh boy. Cause I think the telekinesis could, could basically explain all of this. I mean, if they had the rope, already standing by or had it there, they could make it go where it needed to and whip around his neck and lift him up.
0: That's true.
1: I don't know about the bursting into flames business. I think you're reaching a bit there, but uh, you know, telekinesis, I could could deal with that. Yeah. Well, let's see if the episode tells us it. The other thing I have doubts about is the, the retractable breacher. The other thing I have doubts about is the retractable bleacher. Do you think the motor would be strong enough to crush a person?
0: I mean, it wouldn't be comfortable if it happened. I don't know. I don't know that it would necessarily kill them, but at the same time, machines don't, especially in the mid 90s, safety features were not what they are today. So maybe, maybe it would. I don't know. Yeah. I think they are retracting with a certain force that is unnatural. Because if you watch them retract, at least when they start, they are going pretty fast. So. They could be doing that.
1: I don't know if they're affecting that, too. I could see but- that, actually. I could see them helping it along with their telekinesis. Yeah. In my school, it was a, it was manual. There was literally a, a crank that a you had crank, to turn to yeah. make that happen. Well, yeah. after the commercial, the gym is a crime scene. Mulder, Scully, and White are present at the scene where Mulder recaps that the power went out, but, quote, somehow, unquote, the motor that retracts the bleachers activated and Eric Bauer was caught inside. Scully notes that Terramar are again present for the death, but fixate on the fact that Mulder wasn't in his hotel room last night. He says he was pursuing a lead with Detective White, and Scully notes, incorrectly, that they've been working for two years and she didn't expect Mulder would ditch her. He doesn't get to respond to that as White comes back to tell them that a mob has gathered on the south side of town. you agree it's with that the, uh, two-year it is correct. note there?
0: No, it is correct.
1: That they've been working for two years? Yeah. Well,
0: well I, just over two years. I thought the pilot... Because you go season one to season two, pilot to, to the Little Green Men, that's one year, and then Little Green Men to uh, Blessing Land, that's another year, and then add a few weeks onto it and you get here.
1: Okay, fair. Yeah, except that I think there's actually a date in the pilot. Just stop. <laughs> All right, well then... <laughs> Jerk.
0: I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not in the mood for cut your to the mob,
1: today. which are digging in a field. Bob, the motivator from the funeral, is directing the efforts. Bob is working off a tip he received about the location of the mass grave in Harvey Mullich's backyard. White warns him he's digging up private property, but he storms off undeterred. Apparently, Bob is the high school principal, and White finds his behavior unexplainable. Scully explains it. It's rumor panic. An event happens which exacerbates a rumor. There have been 20 incidents since 1983, and none of them supplied evidence which supports the wild allegations, at which point a woman screams she's found bones. The trio head to the hole and see that the woman has uncovered a leather satchel, which Mulder and Scully get prepped to examine, both pulling out latex gloves. They hesitate, seeing who's going to do the honors when Mulder snarkily allows Scully to do it, knowing that she loves to snap on the latex. At this point, Mike, I was wondering if this isn't Darren Morgan behind Chris Carter writing. This feels like a Darren Morgan episode in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I could see that. There are threads that you could draw to the man who loves turning the X-Files on its head. I would venture to say that Chris Carter learned a couple
1: things from Darren and chose to spread his wings a little bit. I would I would actually I mean I surprised myself by saying this, but I would actually agree with that. Yeah. So it bears not following up on we can just move on. Scully yeah. opens the sack, showing us a selection of bones, which even with the short glimpse I can see are obviously not human, but Bob cries out, They're child's bones. <laughs> the fact that they did not notice that.
0: Yeah. That is definitely a cat's skull.
1: But I think uh that sort of lean, le- leads. I think that lends credence to the rumor panic business because I think he's just willing to see what he needs to see. Mulder notes the three letter inscription on the handle RWG, which Bob immediately identifies as belonging to Dick Godfrey, the baby killer, and the mob decamps to grab their pitchforks. White identifies Godfrey as Dr. Godfrey, the town's pediatrician.
0: Who directed this one?
1: Nutter? Uh it was Rob Bowman.
0: Okay. Cuz I was thinking RWG is RW Goodwin.
1: Oh, yes. That actually I'm Wondering if a that upset. was a play. Wait, well, it still could be. They often do that. Mm-hmm. Eh? Yeah. yeah that's smart. You got your moments. Not many of them, but you do have. them. So we cut to the mob arriving at Godfrey's house banging at the door. Inside, a figure clad in a delightful white silk housecoat and high heels comes down the stairs to see what the devil is going on and then runs in terror from the mob. Bob decides he's in there and the crowd bangs on every surface, demanding he come out. We cut to Detective White interrogating Dr. Godfrey. He contends he sold the bag. He contends he sold the bag at a garage sale a year ago to a young girl from a family that lives a few doors down. White isn't buying it, suggesting Godfrey take a polygraph. When Scully arrives, telling Dr. Godfrey he can go. The bones belong to a beloved family pet, a little dog named Mr. Tippy. Relieved, Dr. Godfrey is leaving when Terry enters the room, seeing the bag and the collar being Mr. Tippy's name, and goes to it, confirming with her, Mr. Tippy, that it's all true. Mulder takes the opportunity... Sorry? No, I was...
2: You, were, you Her, needed
1: I to was, say something, obviously, so listen. You can, No, uh, I was imitating ahead. the oh girl. Just, would you get on with it? Well, listen, I, I value your words. No, you don't. Well, I do, obviously. Otherwise, I wouldn't have, like, stopped what I was saying. You often make mistakes and stop, so. Never. I don't know what I, you're talking about. Well. Okay. We'll see. Right. Well, I'll keep going then. Yeah, well, let's do your job. Mulder and. takes the opportunity to remark that someone is wearing his favorite perfume. Everyone looking at him attentively, particularly Dr. Godfrey. Scully takes the opportunity to pull Mulder from the room to give him a stern talking to. She's not impressed with his attitude during the investigation. She's been humiliated multiple times and she's not going to stand for it. And why are you sniffing me? Mulder sniffs her, confirming that she's not the one wearing the perfume. It must be Detective White. Scully suggests that there's no mm-hmm. case here. Burn. That Detective White is the real reason they're sticking around, which Mulder objects to. They're here to help White solve three unexplainable murders. But Scully decides she doesn't need to be here, and it's going back to Washington in the morning. It's almost thrown away during this whole exchange, but it's Terry's birthday today. Hmm? Oh. Might be, yeah. Yeah. Might be relevant. Could be
0: relevant. It is the, another nugget that uh, you don't know you picked up yeah. until the end of the episode. So. I
1: mean, I know sometimes the plots go over your head a little bit, Mike. So, I mean, it's because it's her birthday. It's all going to be relevant. So, just pay attention there. Yep, that's me. Mikey Thickhead. Yeah. Yeah. I like to make sure that you get all the nuances for the show. I don't like you to be left behind. I know they go over over my head yeah. sometimes, okay. so. Well, Scully leaves, and we cut to a night sky with a full moon. The camera tracks down to sounds of rock music, party. Inside a home, balloons adorned with happy birthday, Terry and Margie, a cake, presents, and Terramar are dancing, the only ones, with several other teenage girls looking on with derision and embarrassment from their chairs. And I gotta say, uh, Terry and Margie are having the best time there. Yeah. I don't know why anyone else came to this party.
0: They are losing their minds dancing.
1: Yeah, they're going for it. Elsewhere in the house, a gaggle of girls surrounds Brenda, who is asking a question of the Ouija board Who is she going to marry? The first letter spells an S. Everyone thinks Scott Simmons, but then the letters A, T, A, and N quickly follow, and a mortified Brenda flees to the bathroom. Inside, she encounters Termar. Holding hands and illuminated by candles, incanting one Bloody Mary, two bloody Mary, three bloody Mary, and stop when Brenda enters. Terramar revealed that if you say Bloody Mary's name thirteen times in the mirror, Bloody Mary will appear. Brenda turns to leave, but the door slams of its own accord. Have you ever have you ever tried that? In the mirror? No. God no. No. I don't want Bloody Mary to appear. God, you haven't done it, have you?
0: You know, I'm not surprised you said no. You are a very play it safe kind of guy, but no, I I think I have done this uh, when I was younger, uh, but then I grew up and realized it was not anything. So
1: I'm amazed that you're still alive, taking your life in your hands like that. Yeah, you well. probably missed a number. It's probably what, why it didn't work. All right. Yep. Well, downstairs. Nobody. Just you know, continuing on. Thanks for that little aside. That's uh, great. The party is interrupted by Brenda's screams. Don't mess up. No, I got through a sentence all right. You can't make me. It's all good. No, it's fine. Yeah. I, I
0: have all the
1: faith in the world in your
0: abilities to tell
1: a story. Th- thank you. I've, I've got it written down, you see. That's how I do it. I mean, I know you just had little bullet points on on mm. like bar napkins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we cut back to the hotel. It's 825. Inside Mulder's room, he's concocting a terrible screwdriver, spooning frozen concentrated orange juice into a mickey of vodka. Uh, you ever done this? That? No, I have not. <laughs> I've had a screwdriver, but that? No, I have not. I don't think I've ever done that either. That's just the genesis of a terrible idea right there. Yeah, that's... So that's I am a curious. Now, that's probably an actual drink that you can get. They'd call it like the Syzygy or something. Mm. I, that would be nice. We should have that as a little We game. should
0: have an X-Files branded drinks that we can all make. No, and, a, and the one little for little host would be the poo
1: water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it works. Yeah. That's an idea. All right. It's my idea. Fair enough. Yeah. We all know you need the credit. So Mulder goes and turns on the TV and it shows the Keystone Cops on every channel. Over in Scully's room, she's smoking, and she sees shamed- the same show on the TV. She paces the room, smoking and snarking to herself about Detective White. Mulder's continuing to try and find something different when there's a knock on his door. It's Detective White bringing him a package. She's crying when Mulder opens the package. It's the color of her cat. What's in the box? So funny you say, Seven. <laughs> You refer to seven there. It's not this episode, but it is another that we'll be reviewing shortly. Uh If they're not Satanists, who are they? She laments. And Mulder goes over to comfort her. He gives her a big old hug and proceeds to Mm -hmm. smell her audibly. She pulls away, asking what he's doing and then noting he's been drinking, which he confirms, but notes that it's odd. He doesn't drink. She goes over to the ghetto screwdriver and takes a big slug, deciding that she doesn't feel like going home. She begins to disrobe, and, well, it is Fox Network, so this had to happen eventually. Mulder offers to get her another hotel room, but she's on a mission. Pushes him to the bed, straddling him. Mulder half-heartedly suggests they should watch TV instead, but she kisses him deeply. It's at this moment, of course, that Scully barges in, catches them in flagrante delicto, which, uh, I know you don't understand Latin, so I'll translate for you. Uh, It means, while they're fucking. Well, I don't know about you, but they clearly
0: are not fucking.
1: Uh, Well, listen, I'm sure that there is an extended cut of this episode where they are. Uh, well, that would be Duchovny's trailer, yeah, I'm sure. It surely would. In between takes. With but. scorn in her eyes, Scully announces that there's been another murder and departs, a shocked Mulder and White left behind. And we go to commercial. Commercial for... Uh... A, a better narration, oh, I don't yeah, know, yeah, that's that's good. That's a nice joke you made there. I wanted to ask
0: you though, yeah, all right. Uh, what do you think the significance of the Keystone cops playing on the t v to the Sabre dance?
1: yeah, what do you think that is? I think the significance is apparently they couldn't afford the rights to a clockwork orange, which is what they originally wanted to show in this. Mm. Mm. But I think it is a direct tweak from the girls to the to the cops, telling them they, they don't have what it takes to solve this. Knowing yeah. that they're unknowingly, I think that's what they... So it's another a bullet point to add to their list of superpowers, is apparently they can make TV <laughs> whatever it's going to be. Well, I mean, we never get that answer specifically, but right. I, I could buy that. Yeah. Well, if it's not them, oh, I suppose it could be the Cosmos. I mean, the that cos- could be yeah. Them. It's, it's not the girls doing it particularly. Yeah.
2: Is it a murder? A high
3: school girl was impaled by flying glass from a bathroom mirror. Let me drive.
2: I'm driving. Scully, it's not what you think. I didn't see anything anyway. Will you let me drive?
3: I'm driving. Why do you always
2: have to drive? Because you're the guy? Because you're the big macho man? No. I was just never sure your little feet could reach the pedals. Mulder takes White's
1: car, and White goes with Scully. Meanwhile, at 10 p.m. over in a diner, Scott is sitting at a table, struck with sorrow over the fate of his girlfriend. Terramar arrives, sitting with him and looking indescribably available. He tells him he wants to be left alone, and Terry completely misinterprets him, telling him he got his wish. Ooh, that's dark. Ouch. Terry tells him that they're there to make him feel better tonight. Carpe p.m. Scott is shocked and hurt and leaves. Terry tones hate him, but Margie doesn't immediately agree. She doesn't hate Scott. They share a moment to look at each other. Margie stands up and leaves, leaving Terry alone to seethe. I like this bit where, uh, you know, we are seeing the, the fractures in their friendship. Yeah. She definitely feels more sympathetic
0: than her friend, who's very, very quick to hate and, and fly off the handle. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they both were acting that way until now, but here we get to see a little bit of a change, at least in one of them. Yeah. So they they are
1: soon going to come to blows, I think. Indeed. Well, we cut to Zorinka's. She's running Mulder's credit card. He starts to ask her a question, but she shushes him, waiting for the card to get authorized. This is not her <laughs> first rodeo. I love it when he says, uh, "I work for the federal government," and she says, "Ah, the federal government has been having a hard time paying its bills." well it, she is a smart ass she is a great one yeah i like this role better than the uh, hr admin for irresistible mm-hmm. well the machine beeps its approval and she gives him some info once every 84 years mercury mars and uranus come into conjunction only this year uranus is in the house of aquarius which doesn't mean anything to anyone but astrologers uh, but hopefully zarenka breaks it down from Mulder and thus us everything is going to collapse. Disaster lies in wait, and comedy is especially affected because it's parked on a high-intensity meridian. To top it all, if your birthday was today and you were born in 1979, which of course, Terramar must be, then all the energy of the cosmos would be focused on you. So, uh, do you think that Chris Carter is an astrologer?
0: Uh, no, I, I would say he did some studying, at least rudimentary, for this episode. Uh, I wouldn't say he's an astrologer or someone who puts a lot of faith into this kind of thing,
1: but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he uh, lives for it. Well, I certainly haven't read anything about him being an astrologer, but I think he has been burned once or twice by writing things that people pick apart. I have a sense that he is... um susceptible to what things are said on the internet about his show in this phase and that oh i'm sure this episode is kind of a a direct result of that but he's doing his darndest to make sure this sounds legit whether it is legit or not is a different question yeah i couldn't tell you but it sounds good for me and yep it works for the episode it does i have to agree with you i have no choice but to agree with you there you go good we cut to a dark driveway with Scott pulling his pickup up into the garage. Margie is laying in wait for him, having stowed away in the back. She announces to him that he doesn't have to be alone tonight, offering herself to him. He's clearly not interested, but almost immediately, Terry is barging and confronting Margie. A deep rumbling begins as we focus on one of the springs that connects the automatic garage door opener. Terry makes it launch into the air and it narrowly avoids Scott. Margie responds in kind, causing another spring to explode. Terry notes that Margie is bleeding, but so is Margie. They turn to look at Scott, who has been impaled by the spring. He falls to the floor, dead. They argue over who killed him, and Terry flees. That's pretty harsh. Tell you what, there's something about garages
0: and springs that are terrifying. (laughs) I don't know if the doors are just... They've always terrified me if I'm going to get crushed. Not not now, but as a kid, it's... Uh, these are big, scary things. And the tension on the garage spring is... Yeah. It's something you, for at least for me as a kid, I would always imagine what would happen, and then this episode comes along and just kind of illustrates it.
1: Well, I'm guessing and it then. probably was the same for Chris Carter. Yeah. Uh, and because this... Is not the first show which has had a real problem with garage door openers. No, no. They're death traps. I mean, really, they just need to all be... I mean, you just got to watch Scream.
0: Oh, right. Same year. Again, you're bringing up something that's not X-Files? Well, you know, I'm trying to delight our audience with things and and knowledge of other things.
1: Is there anything else you want to bring up? Can I only
0: talk about the X-Files on the show?
1: Well, that's what you always talk about to me, so I I don't know. Can mm -hmm. you... How about we just give on with the be episode? over. Yeah, 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 Just, yeah. All right. We cut to a car driving. It's Scully and Detective White. Something collides with the car and they stop. It's a flock of dead birds. In the distance, they see the mob of people coming to them with torches. Back at Zorinka's, Mulder is filling out the credit card receipt when he gets a call in his cell. It's Margie, telling Mulder she knows who did it all. Back with Scully and White, Scully cautions the mob, led by Bob, to stand down, noting it's against the law to walk around with a loaded gun, I'm not sure that's true, but it makes for good TV. Uh, yeah, that's why they call it concealed carry, Andrew. He's not concealing it.
0: I know. That's the problem. He has to have a permit. To
1: carry the gun?
0: Can't just hold a gun in public.
1: Well, I guess we don't know what state this is. It's just comedy. They don't give us a state. Well, Maybe it's Comedy Texas, in which case I imagine he is well within his rights. It could be. Yes, you're right. You know, I appreciate you being a big enough man to say that, because oftentimes you don't. I know when I'm right and when I'm not, and I'm
0: more than willing to say I'm not right if I'm genuinely not right.
2: Well,
1: that's the first. Okay, so something goes on. Uh, It's that was a great segue, and I fucked it up. Yeah, great job. Thank you. Yeah, fuck it up. All right, so Bob clearly states he's here to take matters into their own hands. Who killed all these people? Who killed all these birds? The tension is broken when Terry arrives, asking for help. She knows who did all the murders, and we fade to commercial. After the commercial, Mulder has come to rescue Margie at the garage, finding her curled up beside the truck next to Scott's dead body. She tells Mulder that Margie is the killer. We intercut between Scully and Mulder's perspectives. The girls tell the same story. The other is evil and is responsible for the deaths. Margie
2: Kleinjen. That's right, her friend just gave us a statement. Well, actually, I'm way ahead of you, Scully, because I'm standing here with Margie Kleinjen and she just gave me a statement implicating her friend. Who? Terry. Well, actually, I'm way ahead of you, Mulder, because I'm with
3: Terry right now. What? I've got your suspect and you've got mine. Why does that make sense to me at this point? Look,
2: Scully, I don't think this has anything to do with any cult. I want to get them both in and get a formal statement clear this thing up, okay? Scully?
3: Sure, fine, whatever. So,
1: uh, would you say sure, fine, whatever is completely a part of the X-Files canon? Yeah, I would say that it, that it became a thing. Does it happen at least a lot for in future episode. episodes in your mind? A lot, no. What well, do you think about it?
0: <laughs> I associate it with this with this episode, this episode because that's really all it is. But yeah, the ultimate uh, diss. I think in the fan base, it, it's definitely a, a thing. Anyone who who begins saying it would know what you're talking about. So only true fans know about this. Is that what you're saying? Only true fans. All right, fine. So you would not have any clue if this was used in normal conversation. I'll
1: just keep going. Yeah. At the Troopers. station. <laughs> at the station, Mulder arrives, bringing Margie in. He parks her at an officer's desk and asks if Terry was responsible for Detective White's cat. Margie sheepishly nods that Terry was responsible for that too. As Mulder is leaving, a television turns on. It's the Keystone Cops again. Mulder looks at it suspiciously. Objects in the room begin to rumble. Is it an earthquake? Desks start to move about the room. Scully arrives with Terry and the two girls look at each other. It's a showdown. The room continues to rumble. The furniture continues to move. And suddenly, everyone's guns start shooting, parked in their holsters. It's absolute chaos, with the Keystone cops running as a soundtrack. All the while, Terry and Margie laser-focused on one another. Only Mulder has the presence of mind to do something as everyone else ducks and covers. He leaps up and grabs Margie, dragging her away from the scene and down the hall, tossing her into a cell. Terry follows after, determined. She barks that Mulder get out of her way, and he gladly does, opening the door and tossing Terry in with Margie. In the room, the showdown continues and the entire station rumbles. Scully asks, what the hell is going on? To which Mulder replies, something cosmic. He glances at the clock on the wall and watches the seconds tick down until the clock reaches midnight. The rumbling stops. Mike, uh, all right, what do you think of this one?
0: This is a terrifying scene. Yeah. Just because all the guns going off. I mean, that would be the scariest part, obviously, because yeah. they're they're holstered. They're they're not necessarily pointing anywhere safe, per se, but yeah. I think this scene is obviously the culmination of the cosmic power we're witnessing, and uh I think it was pretty intense. I enjoyed it.
1: Absolutely. Well, Bob and the rest of the mob finally arrives, demanding to see the satanic girls. When Mulder refuses, Bob cocks his shotgun, declaring that everyone is sick and tired of waiting for law enforcement to bring justice to their city. Detective White tells Scully to open the door. Scully complies. We see Terry and Margie huddled in the corner and crying. The moment of danger and cosmic malignance has passed, and as Mulder narrates an epilogue of universal significance, the vengeance of the mob dissipates as Bob finally declares that the true culprit was Satan. Yes, Satan it was. We cut to Mulder and Scully checking out of the motel. Scully's driving. It's a repeat of our opening scene, and Mulder's giving directions. Scully blazes through a stop sign, as the sign for the city once again tells us that they are now entering comedy and leaving the area. Scully tells Mulder, shut up, and Mulder gives us the last, sure, fine, whatever. Well, Mike, I mean, I know you've been waiting for a long time to actually, you know, Talk meaningfully, so there you go. Time for you to you know do your thing with the final thoughts. So go ahead, listening.
0: Well, I think the the writing in this episode is very fun. Chris Carter got to give his his agents a little room to spread their wings and really play characters that they are not. At first, you are a little concerned. I think you are like, what is happening? But once the episode gets going, you understand what's happening, and it becomes a lot more fun and enjoyable when when the clock strikes midnight at the end it's cool that everything just stops as crazy as the powers can get you know it's easy to explain away the 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 force behind them is so strong and so big so vast you know no one can really explain the cosmos so uh what it's doing in this episode i can kind of hand wave away and just enjoy the episode for what it is rather than look for what's wrong with it or what could be better, kind of like
1: you do right, Well, if you're done with your final thoughts, uh I'll tell you mine, which are clearly yeah. more nuanced and thought out but uh anyway, yeah, absolutely. well, I think this episode's a treasure, I think it's one of the best monster of the week episodes, and in a special twist, it wasn't written by Darren Morgan. Chris Carter outdoes himself in this one, clearly spending special attention to astrology and provide us with a unique villain, the cosmos. Yes, it has a bunch of things I'm normal, not normally not partial to. Our agents are largely tourists, they don't really solve anything, and the villains have powers which are ambiguous and undefined. But the unique mm-hmm. setup, the excellent performances, the wonderfully brutal script, you know, pitting Mulder against Scully. Uh, it creates this brilliant episode that stands wonderfully on its own. So uh, it's one of my favorite episodes, actually. And, it is a good one. Which is weird because, as I said, it has so much that I normally would not like. So I, I really um, I don't understand why it works so well.
0: Well, it gives you a way out, though. I think the fact, like I was saying, the cosmos is such a, a vast and, like, it could mean anything. Because we don't really know how it affects us, or or if things like this are even possible, and there are a lot of people who put stock in that kind of thing, and this just turns it up to the X Files level, and you can't put a goalpost or or a a ceiling on the abilities of the cosmos. I think so. You kind of, even though your instinct is to pick things apart and find issue, you can't with this episode at least on the power front i
1: i think they also don't try and explain it like in other episodes they they, they try and rationalize how it happens and in this Mm -hmm. one they they just let it happen and as you say give a a giant out which is perfectly you know it works it's magic you know it's all you need and they don't try and explain it which is probably to their credit yeah you just have to accept that it's a
0: thing astrology works and whatever she told us or told Mulder is, is the facts that's that's our answer for the episode so yeah
1: I feel like maybe it's just past midnight here and I don't know I've, I'm I'm feeling a little different now dude I, you just feel feels like a little a
0: weird episode for us I don't know
1: a little bit a little bit strange yeah I don't know it was odd
0: yeah yeah I liked this episode. It was a good time. And uh, I don't think we had any listener comments. No. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the stars did not align. Yeah. Well, either that or they, they loved it so much. They, they just, you know, it stands on its own. doesn't need any commentary. And that might be true. I'm willing to
0: believe that. Yeah. Hopefully our listeners don't not care. So...
1: Uh, but they, they didn't say anything this episode, so <laughs> yay. We we also didn't give them a ton of time to to comment.
0: Eh, yeah, that's true.
1: Like Not only, our usual week. Of only three days. weeks or so. I mean, they can't be motivated. Jesus.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm ready to to close the
1: lid on this episode. Yes, let us, let us syzygy out. From this episode. So, Mike, thank you for this uh odd episode. And uh, if you want to have the last word, I give it to you. Sure, fine. Whatever.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review on your podcast app of choice. Andrew and I would be eternally grateful to you fine, fine people, for helping us expand and get the word out. Also, we've got a killer group on Facebook. Feel free to join in on the discussion at facebook.com slash groups slash thisisnothappeningpod and become an official member of the Syndicate. We do polls and we have questions for every episode to give you guys the opportunity to chime in and possibly let your voice be heard on our recordings. And please join us on our new Twitter at xfilespod no dash, to stay up to date on everything moment to moment. Thank you and remember, don't stop swimming.